turn there. It has occurred to me that, that many of our, our prayers fall flat, they're lifeless, simply because of the way we start them. They fall flat because they never quite take off in the first place. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people over the years who've told me that they struggle with prayer. They can't get into it. They never feel like they're connecting with doing relationship with God. And they ask, well, what's wrong with me? And the sad thing is, because I often struggle with those same things, it's been hard for me to give very good answers. <laughs> How to connect with God in prayer. I, I don't know. I struggle with the same thing. But here's what I learned this week. Jesus has already given the answer. In the Lord's Prayer, which is to be a guide for our prayers, to, to mold and shape our prayers, Jesus is going to show us how we can truly connect with God at a relational, at a spiritual, and at a transformative level. Jesus has given us this, this help in the Lord's Prayer, this guide to teach us how to pray. And so as we've done in, in our past weeks, I want to begin by reciting the Lord's Prayer with you. I'll put it up here on the screen. And the, the underlined portion is the portion we're really digging into today. That's, uh, that's verse uh, 9. And so let's read this together. You can read out loud with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's weird because I'm like, well, maybe I should pray now. We did the scripture reading, but that was a prayer, right? <laughs> Where we read a prayer together. Um, th this really is just such a, a wonderful thing what I'm teaching you today because it's something, uh, I love it when God is teaching me something at a heart level, at an experiential level, and I get to just come and share it with you to, to show you what God has been uh, teaching in my life that I know will help your lives as well. When I think about this first line of the Lord's Prayer, um, as, as is true with so many other things spiritually, one of our, our biggest problems or one of our biggest issues is that of familiarity. We are so familiar with the words that the significance, the, the groundbreaking, earth-shaking significance can completely miss us. And oftentimes that's what happens with these first words of, of the Lord's Prayer. Or maybe that's what happens with whatever words you use, you know, um, as you, you speak to God in prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. To many, these words have become just a necessary way to get the prayer started. So that we can then move on to the, the bigger, more important, more urgent things. Maybe this is just 
you know, just the, the kickoff. It's the buzzer telling you that prayer has started. But I, what I want to show you today is that contained in these words of the Lord's Prayer are profound truths that can and will shape our prayers and will shape our lives if we will follow Jesus in this path of prayer. Well, what kind of truths do the, does this first sentence of the Lord's Prayer teach us? First, it teaches us the recipient and relationship of prayer. The recipient and relationship of prayer. And I, I want to be careful here because I, I don't want all of this to be so formulaic and scientific and dull and dry that it misses its impact. But, but Jesus does say, pray then like this, and then here's how your prayer should start. Our Father in heaven. So let's first talk about the relationship of the one we're approaching in heaven. Or sorry, approaching in prayer rather. Jesus tells us that we are to address God as our Father. We've probably all heard God referred to as Father many times. You know, it, it's a title for God. It's a, the title of the first member of the Trinity, Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But what you need to notice here, and what I need to notice here, is this is not a title for God, but a relationship indicator. It doesn't say the Father. It doesn't just say Father in heaven. It says what? Our Father in heaven. So that, that's a term of relationship. Our Father. This is, this is my Father I'm talking to. This is your Father that you talk to in prayer. This is very, very important because Jesus, God the Son, is saying all of you should refer to God as your Father, our Father, because God relates to you in a fatherly way. Well, what does it mean for God to be our Father? Like, what does that mean? Well, I would say... It kind of means as far as things, as, as he treats you in, in the perfect way that a perfect father would. By the way, this was a convicting thing for me to study as I see my failures as a parent. Because I say, what, what, what would it look like for, for God to treat uh, his children as, as a father, to treat us as a father? And I, and I say, man, that's, that's, I've got some things to work on by God's grace. But let me, let me just show you a couple things that I think this means. First, I think it means glad acceptance from God. When you come to God in prayer, he doesn't say, what? I'm busy. How does a good father respond when their, their child gladly runs up to, to their father? Hey, daddy. Hey, daddy. How do they respond? Hey, Nora, it's so nice to see you. How are you doing? What's up? That is how... God thinks of us. He is glad when we come to him in prayer. He's excited when we come to him in prayer. And he gives us glad acceptance. Oftentimes we don't feel this way though. We think, okay, God's not going to be very happy about me praying to him. He's certainly not going to want to hear my requests. Because you know what? I've sinned again. 
I've done that wrong thing again. I've fallen back into that pattern again. Does God still give us glad acceptance in those moments? Yes. As a father, the Bible reveals that as long as you're coming to God to repent and restore the relationship, God gives you glad acceptance every time. I mean, if you come to him saying, I'm going to keep doing my sin, I don't care, but I need some things from God, you know, need him to th- that, that, that is different. <laughs> but if you're coming saying, I've, I've failed again, I've, I've, I've dirtied myself again, God gives glad acceptance like a father. Say, so well, how do you know that? Well, one great example of this is the, the parable of the prodigal son. You guys remember the parable of the prodigal son? It could actually probably be called the parable of the loving father because that's really what it's meant to depict is the father's response to his two sons. But the prodigal, the one is, is the one who, who goes away. We, 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 you might remember he comes to his father one day and says, will you give me my inheritance uh, so that I can you know, just leave? I mean, he's basically saying, I wish you were dead because I don't care about you. I just want your money. The father complies. The son goes off to a foreign country, piddles away his money on drink and women and parties. And he comes to an all-time low. And this is kind of where that, that light bulb clicks in his head of like, how did I get here? You might remember he's, he's desiring to eat the pig's food of the pigs that he's feeding. And something pops in his head and he says, my, my, my father's sa- slaves eat better than this. <laughs> my father's servants are doing better than I am. I know maybe I'll go back to my father and he'll make me one of his servants. So the, the, the son goes back. He, he goes traveling back to his father. And you remember the father sees his son from a long way off. And rather than saying, turn off the lights and lock the doors, there comes Jeff. That, anyway, what does he do? He goes running down the road. This, by the way, culturally was crazy, undignified for him to go do that, especially to go to the son who has made such a fool of himself and a fool of his father. He goes, runs to him, embraces him, kisses him, says, bring the robe, bring the family ring, put shoes on his feet, kill the fatted calf. We are going to celebrate. My son was dead, but he is back to life. This is how God receives us. Now, that could be in initial salvation, but this is, this is every time that we say, all right, I'm, I'm going I'm to walk away from you a little bit, God. I'm going to step into this sin, and then we find ourselves dirty. Ah, how did I get here? You can know that if you go walking back to your father, penitent, repentant, he is going to wrap his arms around you. He's excited to see you, embrace you, kiss you. And then he says, I'm not going to bring you back as a slave. You're my son. Come on, we're going to have this party. This is the godly, the fatherly acceptance we can expect in prayer when we speak of God as our father. But I would say it also means God desires to answer our requests with good things. This is important. Because some people, again, think of God as, as greedy or stingy or sometimes 
uh, even cruel. Like he just wants bad things in our lives. He wants us to have hardships. He doesn't want to give us good things. Sometimes we're afraid to ask for things because we're like, well, then God will know what I want. Then he won't give it to me. That is absolutely opposite of the God of the Bible. That is absolutely opposite of our Father in heaven. Matthew 7, so this is just a chapter after um, the Lord's Prayer here. Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11, it says there, Ask, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receive, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? What an amazing statement that when we approach God in prayer, we can come knowing that there's this glad acceptance, that he's glad to talk to us. He'll, he doesn't have to set aside what he's doing, but he would if he did have to. Um, he can do anything all at one time. But he, he's, he's there. He's got, you've got his attention. He's glad to see you. And then he is desirous to answer your request with good things. This is amazing. This is what it means when we speak of our Father in heaven. But we see that the other part there. That's the Father. That's the relationship we have with the one we're praying to. But let's think about the recipient. Who, who is that one that we're praying to? It says, our Father in heaven. In heaven. I heard um, Pastor Dave teaching Sunday school this morning. And he was talking about, you know, trying to uh, decide when, when things are speaking in, in figures of speech versus wooden, literal speech. This is one of those times that it is more figurative. This, is, this wouldn't be like me saying, my wife is in the living room, just the, the place that she is. This is saying a lot more. Rather than just saying that God is in heaven as the place, it's actually speaking of the preeminence of God. He is high up in the heavens. So rather than just the space he's in, this is about God's supremacy. I see uh, Deuteronomy 4.39. I'll just read these for you quickly. It would take a while to look all these up. It says, Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. Psalm 97, 9. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. Like heaven, you are exalted far above all gods. For God to be in heaven is to say he is high. You know, we, even high, that's just a figure of speech. It doesn't actually mean you're higher or lower. It means you're supreme above all else. Another thing I, I see in the Bible that it means is that God is has ownership of all creation. Deuteronomy 10, 14 says, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. I mean, this makes sense that God created the heavens and the earth, and therefore he is the owner of them all. I see additionally, this stands for God's complete perfection. 
that God is perfectly glorious in all that he is and in all that he does. Psalm 115, 1 through 3 says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. We see that God is perfectly glorious and everything that he does is perfectly glorious. God is completely perfect. But finally, there are many more things we could talk about here, but finally this speaks of God's perfect punishment of sin. You could call this the justice of God. If God is perfect in all of his attributes, and one of those attributes is his righteousness, his justice, then that means that God is the perfect judge of the universe who lets no sin go unpunished. It would be unjust of God to let sin slide by, to just brush it under the rug. And God is perfectly just. That means all sinners and all sin, all who commit sin, deserve to be banished from God's presence and placed under his condemnation, under his wrath. That is justice. So here, in my mind, we run into an issue. Okay, so I have the judge, this heavenly judge, and I'm a sinner, yet I'm supposed to call him our father? This, with this glad acceptance, this desire to answer my requests? How, how do these things go together? How can there be a heavenly judge who accepts a sinner like me, who wants good things for a sinner like me? How can our judge in heaven also be our father <clears throat> Actually, excuse me, <clears throat> need to get a drink. <clears throat> we actually find the answer to this puzzling question in the prayers of Jesus recorded in Scripture. Because we're, we're talking about prayer, he's giving us the Lord's Prayer, and so we can, you know, look at Jesus' prayers. And we find the answer to this. How can a heavenly judge accept and give good things to a sinner like you and like me? <clears throat> Did you know that Jesus explicitly calls God his father in prayer every single time that's recorded in scripture except for once? I read them all. And he does. He, father, he, he, father, fa he speaks to God as his loving, accepting father who wants to answer his son's request. But this one time, Jesus did not refer to God as father is incredibly significant for this. For how people like you and me can say, our father, glad acceptance, who is in heaven, perfect judge. You're probably wondering, well, which time did he not say Father? <clears throat> it's found in Matthew 27, verse 46. We're on the cross. Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Interesting. 
This, by the way, the Bible tells us there that at noon, the sky turned black while Jesus was on the cross. And this darkness uh, lasted until 3 p.m. And that's when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So here's what we need to get. The only time Jesus did not refer to God as Father was when he was on the cross paying for our sins. The only time he couldn't refer to God with knowing that there was this glad acceptance and a desire to answer his requests was when he was dying, being punished in our place for our sin. Jesus was forsaken by God the Father on the cross for that time. And that means Jesus was forsaken so that we could become a part of God's family. Jesus was alienated from God so that we could be accepted by God. And because Jesus became, for that time, an orphan, as it were, he paved the way for our adoption by God. And when we trust in Jesus, when we trust in the work he did, the Bible says he gave us the, the right to be called children of God. That's 1 John 4. In Christ... Our sins that separate us from acceptance from God, from good things from God, all of that was paid for. And by, by faith, by trusting in him, that payment is applied to us. Our sins really are put as far away as the east is from the west. And the perfect life that Jesus lived is given to us. And so when we come before God in prayer... It's not because we're so good. It's not because we're so worthy. It's because Christ is good. Because Christ is worthy. And because of what he did on the cross, by, by faith we are given that righteousness, that right standing before God. And we are quite literally adopted into God's family. That's why we call each other brother and sister within the church. We're, we're in God's family. And God really does, this is not just a figure of speech, God really does look at you as his child because you are united to his child, Christ. This is an amazingly significant truth because this keeps us from this brash, proud arrogance that comes to God. Here I am, look at me, look at all the things I'm doing for you. This means I come only on the merits of Jesus. I find acceptance only because of the righteousness of Christ. This, by the way, is why we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So often we, we, we kick off our prayers with things like our Father in heaven, and we close them with in Jesus' name, amen. This is what we're talking about. These are these truths that I come to you, God, in the name of Jesus. This is unbelievable. And I've, I've told you how I believe we, we can helpfully use the Lord's Prayer. And I even have it in your, your bulletin, a little uh, printout there. We recite a portion of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven. And then we meditate 
on the significance. So God treats me as a father even though I'm a sinner. Well, that's because of him giving his son in my place for my sin. And then we pray in response to God. We, we, we pray these things, we, and we, we're just talking to God. God, I'm so thankful that I get to come to you, the, the God who is in heaven, supreme, owner, perfection, judge. I get to come to you because of what Christ has done. This is, this is how the Lord's Prayer is supposed to be impactful in our lives. It's supposed to truly engage our brains and, and go deep into our hearts, even as we're lifting our prayers up to God. Remember I, I said our prayers never seem to lift off? Well, maybe we're just not starting right. Again, I don't want to make everything so formulaic, but maybe if we quickly say, Father God, and then we give him a laundry list of sins that we need him to clean real quick. Okay, God, forgive me because I've been a jerk. Forgive me because, you know, whatever. And then we give him a grocery list of things that we need. God, I need you to make my car work. I need, you know, we, yeah, your prayers never lift off. You're not, you're not feeling like you're connecting with God. It's, it's not impactful or transformative to you. Maybe it's because of the way we, we start our prayer. We forget who we're talking to. We forget the relationship we have with him. We forget why it is we can come to him in the first place. Because he loved us and sent his son to die in our place for our sin. This is un. Believable truth. This makes me not want to just skim through and speed past just the beginning of the Lord's Prayer or any of my prayers. It makes me want to think about the recipient and the relationship of my prayer before I continue on. And I think when we do this, when we start our prayers by thinking about who we're praying to and the relationship we have with Him, it does this. Oop, I forgot about that, by the way. That's Jesus removing that question mark. What it does is this. When we, when we remember our recipient and our relationship with him, it changes our first and highest request of prayer. Instead of the laundry list of sins we need God to clean, instead of the grocery list of stuff we want from God, it makes us pray something like this. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. I, I don't want to go insult your intelligence, um, but, but I want to talk for a moment about what this means. A name is talking about a reputation. It's talking about what th people think and say about a person. It's, and that, you know, determines how people respond to them. The, the, the regalness of a king, the, the lowliness of a criminal. That's their name. That's their reputation. But then we have here this idea of hallow. What is it to hallow someone? We don't use that word. It's gone out of use. But basically it comes from the same root word as holy, which essentially means special or set apart. So when Jesus says we should pray, hallowed be your name, we're really asking that God's reputation would be highly esteemed for how glorious and worthy he is of all praise and honor and obedience. Hallowed be your name. I want people to revere you is what we're praying. Now, 
This, this is how it goes, though, because I think about in my life the, the words I've said in prayer, and my, but my heart wasn't in it. When you have started the way Jesus gave us, by, by thinking on the significance, meditating on and praying to God about this idea of our Father in heaven, this is no longer an unnatural or forced prayer. When you recognize how great this God is that you're speaking to, you you want his name hallowed. You want him to be glorified. When you recognize that he has bent down, as it were, to, to relate to us as a father, you want his name revered and esteemed. And when you think about the only reason those two things can happen, that we're talking to the God of the universe and he bends down and embraces us is because he sent his son You want people to know and love and obey this God. 1 Corinthians 10.31, Paul kind of commands, he says, So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so this prayer, hallowed be your name, is basically saying, I want to do that. I I want to do everything to your glory, God. I want to show by my heart and by my life, by my actions, that you are worthy of praise. You are worthy of worship. You're worthy of me finding my satisfaction in you. You are worthy of my trust. You're worthy of my obedience. And he is. He really is worthy of these things. And so we say, okay, there's this command do all to the glory of God. Now we pray, God, hallowed be your name. And I would say there are two dimensions here, I, I believe. We, we are praying this for ourselves, that my heart would hallow you, that, I, that you would be separate from worldly things in, in my life, that, that you would be supreme over everything. But I think that there's a second dimension here, that we are praying that God's name would be hallowed among all peoples. Jesus says in in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, that's peoples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or obey all that I have commanded you. I mean, that's what the Great Commission is. The Great Commission is go and show people the greatness and the glory of God. Show that he has made a way to know that God through Christ Jesus so that they too can worship him. That they too can hallow him. And so that's what we're praying. And these two dimensions are, are intimately tied together. Because... It's very hard to make a disciple, to to have someone else hallow his name if we're not hallowing him in the first place. And so we must always be praying, God, help me to honor you, to revere you, and to show how glorious you are so that others will see it through my life and in my words. Jesus says this, Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds or good works. And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. God has chosen to use us, redeemed sinners, to put God's glory on display by the way that we 
find our joy in him, by, by the way we obey him, and by the way we speak of him, so that others might know him as well. But we need to see how this, this works in the Lord's Prayer again. We first set our minds on the recipient. He's glorious beyond all compare. Then our relationship, I can know him. I can know him. He treats me as a father. He accepts me. He wants to grant my requests because of what Christ Jesus has done. Not because of me, but because he has purchased me by the blood of his son. And then we move from that to hallowed be your name. God, you are glorious. You are worthy. I want you to be praised. This changes our attitude in prayer. It, it, it immediately lifts us into the heavenlies with God, if you would. It lifts us up there so that the rest of our prayer is different. The rest of our prayer is funneled through the fact that we're talking to God. The rest of our prayer is funneled through the fact that we want his name to be hallowed. So our, our praise comes from that. Our petitions come from that. This is incredibly important, how we start our prayer. I want to give you a, a personal story of how this worked in my life last week. Um, again, I told you God's, God's teaching me, me these things. Well, my wife and I were wrongly told to tear out our kitchen cabinets so that new ones could be installed the next day. So I tore them out on Monday. They're supposed to be installed on Tuesday, says the lady on the phone. So I tore out the sink. I tore out all the cabinets and made my kitchen completely inoperable. The next day, the day it was the new one supposed to be installed, um, after a lot of hours went by, my wife finally calls them up, and they say this: these these crushing words. Oh, there's been a mistake. They're not even close to ready. It will be at least another four weeks. You were told the wrong thing. In my in process heart. <laughs> needing more sanctification, I was fuming. I said, okay, I've got a family of five. I've got a four-month-old, uh, a two-year-old, and a four-year-old, and we're not going to have a kitchen for an extra four weeks because you guys told us the wrong thing. So my plan was, we were waiting for the, uh, a phone call from the, the manager to call us back. My plan was to let him have it. Tears were my goal. Um, <laughs> but I, I, by God's grace, I realized in that moment, I'm not exactly exuding the fruit of the Spirit right now. This is not love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to pray I mean, didn't even want to, you know, it's just like, I know I need to pray. And we're studying the Lord's Prayer right now, so I, I begin our process of the Lord's Prayer. So I recite a portion of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
Then I start meditating on these things that I've been studying to, to preach. You are the God of the universe. You created me. And yet I failed you so many times. I've sinned against you when I know better. And yet you have forgiven me over and over and over again. Not, not just forgiven me, you gladly accept me as a son because of what Jesus did. You didn't brush it under the rug. Your son paid for these things so that I could be forgiven and adopted. And then I'm thinking, okay, and I'm unwilling to, to, to forgive this mistake that they made. It wasn't malicious. My attitude was entirely different after the first four words of the Lord's Prayer. But I went on, hallowed be your name. The reason I was created, the reason I was redeemed was for the praise and honor of this God who has loved me, saved me, and adopted me. And I'm about to just try to satisfy my flesh by, by spewing, out, spewing out my anger I might get a little discount on my cabinets, but I won't be glorifying God. I'll, I'll be mocking him. I'll be showing that, that he's not glorious. I'll be showing that I don't find my contentment and satisfaction in God. I'll be showing that my circumstances are my God and the thing I find my satisfaction in. And so I prayed in that moment, God... Help me to hallow your name in this situation. To show your forgiveness, your acceptance, your grace to other people. Because God, I, I want to let my light shine. The light that you're putting in me shine so they may see your glory. Praise your glory. So using the Lord's prayer, again, not, not in a sterile way, but in a, a heartfelt way. If I need you, God absolutely changed my attitude and my actions. This is how it works. Jesus didn't, didn't just say, ah, how should you pray? Well, maybe you could pray about this, and oh, you could pray about this. No, he, this is how you can pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. If you want your prayers to lift off Think about the recipient. Think about the relationship you have with him. And let that push you to that first and highest request. That he would be glorified and that people would find their satisfaction in him. God wants to do business with you in prayer. He wants to meet with you. He wants to change you. What a gift from our great and loving father. Let's pray.